It's showtime. Don't say it, please. Don't say it. No, I have to say it, Mitch. Showtime. Showtime. It's showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome back to the Showtime Movie Podcast. I am your host, Show. Thank you for being alongside me as we continue our look at the Ahsoka miniseries. I guess that's what it is. I guess it's a miniseries, although I guess they all are, but perhaps uh, this is season one of a miniseries. It's kind of odd how they describe it, but either way, we're going to continue looking at Star Wars content on this episode and the next episode, then we'll get into some more movies. I have been slowly... While we've been kind of like in between episodes, I've been slowly piecing together the five to seven minute reviews, the kind of quicker reviews of each movie I've seen over the summer. So very slowly piecing it together. And then I'll put out one that it's going to be like an hour long that has like, you know, 10 movies in it essentially. Right. So that's coming along. I'm going to do the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one uh, very shortly. There's some other ones as well. The Barbie and Oppenheimer one is already done, which is kind of nice. So We'll get to all that in, uh, I, I guess I have like two more weeks because we're going to talk about Ahsoka episode five and six today. There are only eight episodes, so seven and eight are the next two ones, which we'll wait to do after the finale of Ahsoka. And then after that, I'll release the big episode uh, for the summer movies. And then I guess we'll be into awards season, which is kind of fun. I, uh, Tiff has concluded I did not see uh, pretty any any movies at TIFF because of my actual real life job, but a couple of them, you know, it was a it was a bit more of a pared down festival this year. So a couple of them, I'm sure, will be on their way to uh, streaming very soon, and certainly the other awards movies of the the next couple of months will be uh, slamming in there with reviews because I want to see as many of them as humanly possible. But um, still, on today's episode, we will be continuing to focus on Ahsoka episodes five and six, and let me tell you. I think it's the two best episodes of the show so far. One of the better things, perhaps, that Star Wars has done overall. So let's get to it. Let's discuss episodes five and six for Ahsoka. Like I said, I really do think episodes five and six are... Not only the two best episodes of the show, episode four was actually quite good as well, as we talked about, but I really do believe that episodes five and six are some of the best Star Wars content we have gotten in a long time. You guys know I'm a big fan of The Last Jedi, so certainly that's up there for me. I did not like The Rise of Skywalker, and The Force Awakens was fine. It was it was like pretty pretty like surface level. I don't know if there's anything all that great about it but i don't think there's anything all that bad about it but you know i you know a lot of people are pretty polarized by the whole sequel trilogy but then you then you get all the different tv shows right like you got kenobi and you got uh certainly the mandalorian seasons one two and three we got andor which i think a lot of people have labeled as the best star wars dating back to return of the jedi which frankly i i don't think is entirely incorrect uh, and then now you get Ahsoka, right? And like Ahsoka episodes one through four, I think it were varying degrees of good, right? Like episode one and two were fine. They're probably at best fine. There was some potential there, but I don't know how like great they were. Episode three was, I think, good. And then episode four, I thought was pretty good. And now we get to episodes five and six. Uh, and I thought they were great. It's kind of funny, right? Because if you think about episodes one through six as a reflection of Star Wars, it's kind of the same thing, right? Episodes one and two, 
are uh, are just okay. Episode three was pretty good. Four was good, and then it set the stage for even better episodes in five and six. Kind of kind of like the the show and 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 the movies are. I, I I can't imagine they intentionally made episodes that are just okay. You want all of them to be very good for TV, but it was just kind of funny how how it, it all rhymes. That's how it all works in life, isn't it? But episode five, why don't we start there? And it was just generally cool to see Hayden Christensen reprise his role as both Anakin and Vader. We talked about how you know the musical cue at the end of episode four kind of made it feel as though we weren't sure who we would see. Would it be Anakin Skywalker or would it be Darth Vader? Well, it turns out we got both. We got to see both of them. I was actually really neat to see uh, someone who did not watch Clone Wars when it came out, but did watch it a little bit later on in life. It was still cool to see Hayden Christensen don the Anakin Clone Wars armor which we never see because obviously you don't see the clone wars at all in the movies it ends on geonosis at the end of episode two and then episode three begins at the end of the clone wars and i guess he's like kind of sort of wearing it but they have a more specific outfit that he wears in the tv show and even has the haircut which is kind of interesting as well so that was kind of cool just as a uh as a as a nod towards essentially what we what we were getting was a live action episode of the clone wars tv show which was a cartoon so that was kind of neat uh it was neat to see ahsoka and Anakin interact and it was also pretty cool to see what a non-robotic Vader would look like ostensibly at full power that's not something we'd gotten to see before so it was almost like a bit of a a what if glance into what Anakin could have looked like and uh, I, I actually think Hayden Christensen did a great job of talking like Anakin Skywalker and then also talking speech pattern wise like Darth Vader would, like James Earl Jones would essentially without the voice modulator. And they did admittedly modulate his voice a teensy, teensy bit, uh, especially when, you know, Ahsoka is like choosing to, to to not go along with him. You know, I choose to live and he, he's like, incorrect. Right. And he kind of talks about it like he, he says it in the inflection, if not the voice that uh, that James Earl Jones would and then similarly with it which is the part where I think was a teensy bit modulated but I, I can live with it is when he says you lack conviction you can just hear Darth Vader say that like if you were to say that into a like you lack conviction I think I think people would feel that's a relatively iconic Darth Vader line so I thought it was great I think they did a great job with that uh, I thought it was also a fascinating but correct choice to have Ahsoka be portrayed by a young kid because it does really hammer home how young she was. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, that's not right. It's not right to do that. But you know what? I think it does for the viewer underscore the point that what they were doing in the Clone Wars was essentially utilizing child soldiers, which is crazy when you see it portrayed not an animation but by an actual person because that is the age she was when she became a padawan when she like lands in the middle of a battle to become anakin's padawan when you first meet her and even at the end of the clone wars you're still dealing with like a what like an 18 year old girl like a 17 18 year old girl 18 19 year old girl so like i think they did a great job of showing how she aged in real life by still using the same actress who i believe uh, if I'm, if memory serves, is the actress from that scene in uh, Avengers: Infinity War? Is it Infinity War? I think it is Inf- Infinity War or Endgame. I think it's Infinity War when you see young Gamora, and it's the scene that's like memed, right? It's like, did you blank, D- Daddy? Did you do blank? 
And he's like, yes, child. Like, but what did it cost? Everything, right? Like, remember that scene? It's that kid. It's that, it's that same kid who portrays young Ahsoka. I think she did a phenomenal job. So uh, I guess she just likes uh, dressing up in face paint as well because she did that for both Avengers and certainly for this as well. But yeah, I, I, just, I think they hammered home how young she is, which is something we never, I, even I never really appreciated. And again, I'm not trying to make some kind of point about how live action is better than animation, but I just feel like they did a great job with it. And, and it was a great creative choice and direction from Dave Filoni. Uh, I also thought, I saw a lot of people debating the idea of like, what was Anakin's final lesson? Because he says, I'm here to complete your training to her. And I think there is a question as to whether or not all that stuff went on in Ahsoka's head or whether or not it actually happened. I tend to believe, especially when the force is involved, it probably happened, right? Like Even if it, it's kind of like that Harry Potter line, like when Harry is like the Dumbledore at the very end, he says something like, this all is all is this all in my head? Did this really happen? Is it real? And Dumbledore said, it was like, "Of course, it's in your head." But does that make it any less real? Which I think is completely valid. I know it's far be it for me to go on and quote Harry Potter to prove my point here. But I, while it is up to you to interpret whether or not what happened was real, I, I choose to believe that it is, if only because the forest does some wacky stuff. And as we'll talk about in Episode Six. I think one of the best things about Star Wars is when it embraces fantasy as to as opposed to only embracing sci-fi. Obviously, at, at its core, it is sci-fi, but when it gets into the fantastical elements of the, of the Force a little bit, even if I don't love the time travel stuff all, all the time, still, it does make it a better story, in my opinion. So that's why I choose to believe that did happen to Ahsoka. But still, I saw some people debating, like, what was the point? What was Anakin's lesson? What did she really learn? For me, I think she, she makes the choice to live because that was clearly something in the previous episode when she gets blasted by, I guess, uh, for by Balin's skull and she falls off the cliff and into the water and you think she's dead. You know, you, you, you think about, you think about all the things Ahsoka has seen and you see it hi- highlighted and underscored again in that episode about all the horrors and, and, and she's seen and she probably has PTSD for being completely honest here. I mean, this woman like survived like a galaxy wide war and she killed people by the boatloads and, and, and droids, certainly, but uh, she saw a lot of people die as well. But Balin Skull, I think, definitely hit a nerve when he says that your legacy of, is one of death and destruction, knowing not only that she was a soldier in the Clone Wars, but that also her master was essentially Darth Vader. So I thought that was an interesting idea to have her choose life, like consciously go out there and choose life. And then afterwards, I thought it was an interesting direction to have... Rosario Dawson portray Ahsoka as being more lighter or being a little less serious, right? A lot of people are complaining that Ahsoka, even later in life, would not be particularly stoic. And you know what? She, I guess she still kind of is. We haven't seen her a ton since the end of episode five because she's not in episode six at all beyond the first, like, two minutes of the, of the open. But, you know, I thought she did portray the character as being lighter and more, I don't know if fun loving is the word, but almost like a weight had been lifted from her shoulders. Well, I think that's a great job by Rosario Dawson. And we also know that uh, Dave Filoni loves to compare uh, Ahsoka to Gandalf. And this goes back to a little doodle he did like years and years and years ago. I think he posted it on Twitter, but uh, it was a, it was a picture of Gandalf and like, like actual Gandalf, not necessarily the Ian McKellen movie version, but just like a, a doodle of Gandalf from Lord of the Rings talking to Ahsoka and they're both dressed in the white robes. It was, it was a pretty funny little doodle and uh, it's, it's very aesthetically pleasing because of course Dave Filoni is an artist, but it, it was, uh, it was interesting because they, they do love to 
make the comparison between Ahsoka and Gandalf, and you think about it, she like gets she gets hit by an enemy, she falls off a large cliff, she has a near death experience, she comes back and she's dressed all in white robes, right? So it's very very much shades of Gandalf being reborn from gray to white. And Ahsoka comes out in the white robes. I think it's a very conscious decision, and I, I don't really have any complaints with it because, uh, as much as I, I'm not a huge fan of Ahsoka as a character being inserted into literally everything in, in the history of Star Wars, but I uh, I did find that appropriate, especially I mean, she's the protagonist of the TV show. So I mean, how much how much issue could you really have? And by you, I mean me, uh, with the protagonist of a show called Ahsoka, right? So. I thought that was a. I, I have no real problem with it. I also thought the episode ended on a great, great, uh, great note when when Hu Yang, David Tennant, who is actually doing a great job voicing this character, but closing his eyes when they're in the pergola, and she's like, she's, "I have no idea where we're going." And Hu Yang's like, it's almost, "You can almost hear him go, oh God, are you kidding me?'" And I actually thought whoever puppeteered uh, Hu Yang and who and certainly David Tennant voicing him was doing a great job. Um, episode six, I think, is the best episode of the show bar none to kind of kind of put a bookend on the Hu Yang stuff because you only really see Ahsoka and him at the very beginning right before the, the intro plays. Uh, again, I thought Hu Yang was great, when, especially when the a long time ago galaxy far, far away. I think it both serves uh, obviously as the intro to Star Wars, given that you haven't seen it in any of the TV shows, which I think is a, a nice creative choice to not have the two-line Star Wars logo or the blue text um, or the like, the blue text that says in a long time ago, galaxy far, far away, or the floating yellow text that goes off into space. Either none of those things are in the TV shows, which I think is great to just visually present you. So that when you when you watch any of the TV shows, you know this is not a movie. They can save some things only for cinematic entries into this universe, which I think I kind of appreciate. But I did think it was creative uh, to have Hu Yang kind of lead into the story about by saying a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, both because it's the Star Wars thing and also they're going to a galaxy far, far away. I thought that was pretty funny. Also, real quick, Ahsoka talking about Hu Yang's Tales of the Galaxy being parts one, two, and three, and then part one being the best was actually pretty funny because you know the crazy-ass Star Wars fans are going to see like, oh, well, she's talking about the prequels being the best and part two and three are the, the the main trilogy and then the sequel trilogy, right? I thought that was kind of funny, but I mean, whatever. You can, like, she is a character from part one, if that's how you're going to read it. So, of course, she would say that, but it, it is pretty funny. You know people are going to read into that. Um, but, of course, we got some new lore stuff in this episode. I thought it was, first of all, I thought it was an interesting but phenomenal idea to make the Dathomiri and the Dathomir Night Sisters be from a whole other galaxy. It's a brand new lore choice. It's the first time we're ever hearing about that. But to a see a Night Sister in in in, in its in, in her their full regalia, and then also to know that they are from a whole extra galaxy, I thought was fascinating because that's first of all not the case, or that's not what had been believed up until now. But it does kind of make sense because they use all that weird green smoke stuff and. I don't know. I just it's it's definitely an interesting creative choice, but it also tracks because they do always feel kind of like fantastical in a different way. So I'm I'm totally here for that. And then of course, we finally finally get to see Grand Admiral Thrawn uh Mithra Nurudo. His uh, his uh, I don't know that's actually how you would pronounce it because there's some apostrophes in there, but uh pretty cool that we after this long get to see Grand Admiral Thrawn, uh, the the way they introed him with the scary chimera, like the zombie ship 
chimera appearing at the Na- Dathomir's Night Sister Tower in or like not even in orbit of the of the planet, but like in atmosphere, which you don't often see. That was really cool, and seeing it just beaten to hell and back, that was also really really cool. It almost made it more frightening in a way. Uh, and then you get to see all of the cobbled together stormtrooper armor, the night troopers as they're being referred to, which I also think is pretty cool. I can't, I very much cannot wait to see night trooper cosplays. Like if, if, if there was anything that would make me cosplay as, as anything, it would be a simple night trooper uh, outfit. It would, cause I mean, it's probably not that hard to do cause it's pre- probably pretty easy to like cast stormtrooper armor, but I thought that just look, it just visually looks cool. And as we all know, looking cool is like three quarters, not even half the battle, three quarters of the battle uh, when it comes to star Wars. Uh, we got to see Enoch, the lieutenant, which was actually kind of interesting because we've seen a lot of different thematic and stylistic discussions about and choices about what they've done, in, in, even in just Ahsoka alone. And I've, I made comment before about how it felt very like Japanese samurai of Ahsoka fighting Balin, for example. He's like a knight, and she's like a she's a samurai, for example, which I think tracks with uh, with with the, the the choice to create the Jedi the way George Lucas did all those years ago. But Enoch, I thought it was interesting because he had. The face of his helmet was almost like a Roman legate face. And this is going to date me a little bit because obviously those are real things. But what it reminded me of immediately was the legate, funnily enough, from Fallout, like from Fallout New Vegas, where you like see the legate. He's wearing a helmet very much like that. Certainly not the on the sides of the Stormtrooper helmet, but the face part. It was just very fascinating to look at. Uh, And then, of course, Thrawn himself. Lars Mikkelsen who is portraying Thrawn, uh, reprises role from Rebels. And I thought that was a great choice because he obviously has the voice down. So for a lot of people, it just immediately makes a connection. Even if I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of Rebels, not because I think it's poor or anything. It's just, I don't know. I just just didn't really grow up with it. Even if I was the right age to watch it, I just never did for whatever reason. But I, you know what? I, I wasn't sure how it would, how it would play in live action, but you know what? Lars Mikkelsen is a great choice. If I recall correctly, Lars Mikkelsen was the bad guy in a season of Sherlock, like the BBC Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch. And uh, he was great in that. And I thought it was, it, it, it was very reminiscent of that, him being like this, um, essentially like a quiet psychopath, right? I don't know if like Thrawn is a psycho, but he, he definitely, uh, he looked the part, he sounded the part. He uh, had the had like the mannerisms down. People were complaining about him, him having like a dad bod, I suppose. I didn't really notice it, but I went back and watched it again. I guess I see what people are talking about now that I was like actively looking for it. But I don't know. Like Lars Mikkelsen is like, an, I don't know how old he is, probably like in his 50s or 60s and probably has a dad bod in real life. And I don't really think it has. I know Thrawn's supposed to be like he works out and he's supposed to be super, super fit and stuff. I don't know. It's like the least of my concerns when it comes to Thrawn. He looks the part and he sounds the part and he's awesome. So, okay. So one of the things about the night troopers that I thought was really cool is they're, you know, they're, they're shouting like hand of the Thrawn. They're just shouting Thrawn, Thrawn, Thrawn. And, and I thought for one thing, it did strike me as odd. So Thrawn's not the kind of guy who strikes me as having like a cult of personality around him. But on the other hand, it does kind of make me think that maybe he has he has inspired such devoted loyalty in his troopers that they would feel comfortable doing that, and he would just encourage it because it probably is good to have some morale when you're stranded in, an, in another galaxy uh, with a, a, a armor and a, and a Star Destroyer that's slowly falling apart. But uh, one of the things that fascinated me about the Night Troopers was certainly their their getup, but was the use of gold. And I like gold, right? <laughs> it was uh, the use of gold in uh, their... 
their their armor, their cobbled together armor. So in real life, I learned about this in university, and I saw some people talking about this on on social media. So I, I guess I learned one thing from university, from my degree, in which I make no use of on a daily basis. So hooray for me, I suppose. But uh, in real life, there's a practice called kintsugi, which is essentially to go back to the Japanese stuff. It is the Japanese art of putting together broken pottery pieces back together using gold. And I guess it's an idea that is, like, it's one that you, where you generally, I suppose, how do you put it? Like, embrace the imperfections and the flaws of this object you have cobbled back together, and you kind of seal the cracks using gold. You still see the cracks, but you seal them up using the gold. And in so doing, you have created at least when it comes to pottery, a stronger piece of art. And I think that's a fascinating choice for Thrawn because as we know from the books, both the Legends books, the new books written both by Timothy Zahn, and of course uh, the Rebels stuff as well in the, in the season he appears in, you know, it felt very appropriate because Thrawn often has ties to art and basically can can derive an enemy's thought process from examining a piece of art and i thought that and again i don't know how much that like is actually canonized into like the characterization of this guy at this point we've literally i'm literally driving this from like what 15 minutes of screen time essentially if if that so again like i don't want to take it too too far but at the same time that something like a very a very like esoteric not always widely discussed certainly in north america art uh like medium let's call it or art philosophy i mean that's a better way of putting it that this philosophy is is at least implied to be ingrained in this character of thrawn i think it feels very appropriate to me i, I quite like it and it also just looks badass right like i said looking good is a uh, three quarters of the battle in star wars case right uh for most people it'll be half the battle uh but so anyways it was and i thought that was pretty fascinating and then i also i think the other part of the characterization again in very very little screen time is Sabine and Thrawn, they have a conversation. They obviously know each other, going back to Rebels. But she basically says to him, he, you would never understand when he asks her, you risk your... He almost seems incredulous that she risked the galaxy for a belief that Ezra is alive. And we'll talk about Ezra in a sec to wrap up here. But he replies, not like in a mad way, but he kind of just says, perhaps not. And it, it felt like they really understood the character and I know people are like, oh, Dave Filoni's a genius. It's, I mean, Thrawn is not Dave Filoni's character, right? Like, not, not in the same way that Ahsoka is, right? Like, Thrawn is Timothy Zahn's character. And I just, I couldn't be happier because for me, Thrawn is my, I think Thrawn legitimately is my favorite Star Wars character, period. And I know you're like, what? Like, over Luke or over Darth Vader or over Han Solo or over any of the other characters? Like, yeah, honestly, yes. Because for me... My, my first interactions with Star Wars certainly were the original movies, 4, 5, and 6, but were also certainly uh, the books. I, I got the books from a young age from my cousins, and uh, the Heir of the Empire books, I read like when I was like 9 or 10. I was reading those kind of books at a very, very young age. I have literally all of them. I think I did the tally once. I think I spent more than over a, like several thousand dollars on literally just Star Wars books over my entire life, and it's just... It was really important to me. I'm sure in the same way that Ahsoka is important to a lot of characters. So I, it was really important that Thrawn was done correctly. And you know what? I think he, again, so far it feels as though he is. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes from here. Because there are only two episodes left. It doesn't feel as though 
he is going to die in this series. If he does, I will be disappointed. But it does feel like they are setting it up for him to make it back to, quote-unquote, our galaxy in time to see him take on the New Republic. Now, obviously, the New Republic survives because when the sequels start, the New Republic still exists. So uh, I'll be fascinated to see where they go with this, but Thrawn is just such a great character that I just I can't get enough of it. And I think Lars Mikkelsen is doing a, a great job. I, I did admittedly think that when he introduced Enoch, his lieutenant, with like the Roman legged face, that it was going to be Ezra. It just felt like they were. I know everyone did the whole the whole Mark like like who is he really? Right? They did they did that discussion already. And I I kind of thought to myself, boy, are we going to get this thing all over again when it comes to this Enoch guy? It turns out we did not because we later actually see Ezra, which I thought was pretty funny, but. Um, I, I, they all they all just look really cool. They all looked badass, and uh, like I said, can't wait to see the cosplays. Uh, to end this end this episode, we'll we'll discuss Sabine and Ezra. And uh, first of all, Sabine with her like dog rat wolf thing. I admit I thought it was going to be like hideous, and you know what? It was kind of cute, right? As a cat owner, I I, I tend to, to lean a little bit more towards cats than dogs, but uh, you know what? I kind of like that little doggo guy. So I was kind of glad to see that he redeems himself by helping Ahsoka find the crab turtle people, crab people, turtle people. Um, but they taste, ooh, ooh, but they taste real good in some kind of stew. No, that's horrible. That's horrible of me. But uh, I can't, I can't deny that thought did uh, not cross my mind. But uh, in the end, we finally see Ezra and uh, cool that we finally get some more brown people representation in Star Wars. Represent, bro. And uh, he looks like space Jesus or space Moses living in some kind of trailer park. But hey, it's the first live action appearance of Thrawn. First live action appearance of Ezra. I thought it was pretty funny that she's like, he, he he's like to Sabine. Hey, so uh, how'd you get here? And she's like, ah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, because if you talk, if you tell Ezra you gave him the map, you give you give a map to an evil Jedi who is now both trying to kill you and Ezra, and then also apparently searching for some other scary power that is buried on this planet, one that the Dathomir Night Sisters seem very eager to escape from. I mean, like, prob- things probably don't end well for Balin or for uh, Shin uh, now that they are both looking for Ezra and Sabine and for whatever the hell else is hidden on this scary planet. But, uh, yeah, it was. I thought it was a great way to end the episode because it felt very hopeful, um, despite the fact that, like, the big bad Thrawn was introduced in this episode. By the way, just to wrap up, I did think it was absolutely hilarious that when... Okay, so they get the readings or whatever that the Pergil are approaching and that there's like a, a ship inside and they sense that there's a Force user in there and that it's Ahsoka. And we, we, the viewers, know this and then they, the characters, learn it in that episode. And then Thrawn is just like, oh, yeah, so if you see any space whales, kill those things with extreme prejudice. First of all, A, I thought that, that it was fascinating that the rings of this planet are just whale bones. B, that Ahsoka picked the oldest whale. She probably didn't know why, but the reason it felt so appropriate was because that whale is probably going to die at like this whale graveyard and then see that Thrawn essentially was like yeah I've had enough of their the, 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 the shit of these whales kill kill the shit out of those whales if, they, if you see the whales approach I want you to blow them to smithereens <laughs> Thrawn is not taking any chances with the whales which I, I admit when he said that I know it's supposed to be like kind of serious but I actually like laughed out loud when he said that because like I mean come on bro you're She's going to order your starter shirt or shoot on whales. But then again, there are gigantic pieces of the hull that are uh, that are missing thanks to these whales. So, uh, no, it was really cool. Also, I, I know I've mentioned the, the KOTOR, Knights of the Old Republic uh, tie, tie-ins. I don't necessarily think this is a, is a direct tie-in, but 
I will say we talked about the Eye of Scion, which uh, and Scion being Darth Scion from KOTOR 2, and uh, the ship that uh, Morgan and, and Balin and so on arrived in this galaxy with. I also thought it was kind of interesting that uh, the Star Destroyer, the Chimera, which, again, if I had mentioned this before, the Chimera is the name of if, if Thrawn's flagship, and it has actually the Chimera under, like the, like, the painting of the Chimera, like the tentacles of it, on the underside of the ship still, even if it's kind of worn. So it was cool to see that detail in there. But in real life, I know the Chimera is not, like, a real thing, but historically, in, like, Greek myth, the Chimera has historically been referred to as a creature cobbled together of many other creatures, or at least, if you want to boil it down, a creature cobbled together of many parts, which I think felt appropriate for a ship that has been cobbled together probably over however many years they've been stuck there. So that was kind of cool. But for the KOTOR thing, I thought it was fascinating that it did kind of remind me of the Ravager, which was the name of the ship that Darth Nihilus, who is the, the guy on the cover of, of KOTOR 2 with the kind of like loopy looking mask, right? Uh, that's what his ship kind of looks like. And, and to a, little, a lesser degree, because the Ravager is supposed to be like held together by like spite and the force, right? Like it's like there are parts of the ship that are just exposed to space, like vacuum exposed to space. Whereas it looks like the Chimera is largely operating in, in atmosphere, probably so it helps out the troopers, but also it has pieces missing. So it just visually did remind me of that. I don't know if that's entirely intentional or just like a, this is what a derelict ship could look like if it hasn't been operated on for a long time. But anyways, whether or not that was intentional, I thought it was pretty cool. But again, episode six, by far the best episode of the show, bar none. It's not close. You're kind of hoping that if the through lines continue, it does mean that episode seven is good and then episode eight is like not so great. So we'll see if it sticks to landing when we do the wrap up for episodes seven and eight in a couple of weeks. But um, I've actually really enjoyed it so far. I have more than I thought I would. And I will say it's just as much like as much as I like Andor, and I do because it's phenomenal. And I re- I, I actually loved Andor as everyone else did. But Andor almost feels like it is the best TV show that takes place in a Star Wars universe, whereas Ahsoka might be the best Star Wars TV show, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm really making the distinction between the two clear, but Andor is the best Star Wars, pardon me, the best TV show that we have seen. It just happens to have a Star Wars veneer on it. Whereas Ahsoka, I think, embraces the ideas of Star Wars or, or the concepts of the fantastical elements and the characters we love and so on in the best possible way. And I say that as someone who actually has enjoyed all three seasons of The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett and Kenobi. Like, I, I have enjoyed all of it. It's just I think this is the most Star Warsy stuff we've gotten in a while, at least going back to like season one of The Mandalorian, because that felt like so new and fresh. And then seasons two and three, a little bit less so, even if they were still something I really enjoyed. But anyways, I, I really enjoyed this one and I cannot wait for how episodes seven and eight turn out, especially for my pal Thrawn. That does it for this episode of the pod. Thanks for being alongside. As I said off the top, uh, we are going to do the movie stuff after the Ahsoka seven and eight review which will be not next week but the week after at least at the very least at the time of me recording this but it'll be released soon afterwards so it's fine uh and then we will get like i said into the movies and so on and the summer movie review will be out just in time for us to get to uh, the award season which begins very soon i'm actually quite excited to see it's funny because they're both have the, the word killer in the name but killers of the flower moon which of course is uh, the martin scorsese leonardo dicaprio flick which is coming out on apple tv and then the killer which i think is coming out on netflix but it will be in theaters as will the scorsese flick but the killer starring michael fassbender and and being uh, directed by david fincher who doesn't do a lot of different movies 
Like he doesn't do a lot of movies. Period. Is the last movie David Fincher has done is like the girl with the dragon tattoo, or like even the Social Network? Like he hasn't done that many movies in the last like ten to fifteen years. So I'm I actually am looking forward to a lot of the awards season stuff, even if a lot, a lot of them didn't come to TIFF. Uh, the Boy and the Heron was one that did come to TIFF that I didn't get a chance to see because there were a lot of scalpers that bought the tickets on Ticketmaster like right away. So. Uh, there, there's still a lot of content to come before the end of the year. I know not a lot of people listen to this, but I do appreciate those who do. I do appreciate you because this is a fun outlet, and I do want to do this a little bit more often uh, now that I can manage my schedule a little easier. But uh, again, appreciate you all being alongside me. Thanks for indulging me as we discuss some more Star Wars, some more Ahsoka, and I'll talk to you next time. What was first just a dream has become a frightening reality for those who may oppose us.